Hello, how are you doing? I'm Craig Parkinson. You are listening to the Two Shot Podcast. Sit yourself down, pop the kettle on. We're going to have a nice old chat. Who's in with this week? I'm going to tell you right now. <laughs> How the devil are you? It's Thursday. It's the podcast. Is everyone well? Are you sure? It's quite noisy in here. Can you hear? You? Let me let me see. Right. Let me see if I go outside and see if it's. No, that, no, that's kind of even worse, isn't it? Like, shut that door. How the devil are you? Um. Thank you so much for all the messages from last week's episode with Carrie Lloyd. What a cracking guest she was. And uh, thank you for all your well wishes. I'm much better, thank you. My back is also on the mend. In fact, funnily enough, after I recorded last week's intro and outro for Carrie Ed's episode, I coughed so violently, pulled my bloody back out again. So, yeah, you know, you get to that age, these things happen. So, this week, we meet the fantastic actor Julie Graham. Um, you'll know Julie from all sorts of stuff. At the moment, she's currently on BBC One in the UK on a fantastic drama called Shetland, which if you haven't caught up, you should re- really, really watch that. It's a fantastic show. Um, you'll know from the Bletchley Circle. I think I first encountered Julie when she was on a show years ago with Martin Clunes called William and Mary. It's very, very good. Um, but as these things go, you know, I... I book people onto the podcast, you know, most of the time I don't, I've never met him before, so I don't know if the conversation is going to flow, whether there's going to be a connection there, there's always a niggle, there's always a little worry in your head, um, luckily I didn't have to worry, because she loves a chat, and she's very warm, and she's very honest, as you're about to find out, because this is the Two Shot Podcast, it's episode 76, with the brilliant Julie Graham. Enjoy. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a Happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. So you'll have to excuse me. You poor thing. There might be times where I reach for the, the box of Kleenex. I originally not, went. Not through emotion, just through okay, sheer Who, who knows, Julie? <laughs> we're going on a ride. Who knows, I yeah. originally went for the, the Boots Home brand, which were much cheaper. Then I stepped up, went for the <gasps> Kleenex Balsam. Quilted. quilted. An, an extra pound. Much kinder on the nose. Really? So... So they actually do work? It goes back to the same... Maybe you should get them to sponsor the podcast. What, Kleenex? Yeah. That'd be a good shout, actually. <laughs> Wouldn't it? Yeah. The amount of tears that go on in this podcast. Exactly. That's a very good shout. Yeah. Not boots, though. Buy cheap, buy twice. I think go... <laughs> that's what my granny used to say. You buy cheap, you buy twice. I think it's true, though. She also used to say, say never eat anything blue or bigger than your head. <laughs> so I always thought it was really good advice. That's kind of kept me, you know, going well, through life. Where do you stand on blue cheese? Oh, no, I don't like... I mean, that's, I, that's soap, isn't it? I love a bit of blue cheese, but only at Christmas. That's just weird. You see, the thing is about blue cheese is that it's it's off, it's mouldy. Yeah, I know, but that's where you get the taste from. Oh, God, no. You know? No, 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 no. Can we think of anything other blue? Apart from M&M's. Ah, but your granny would have said it, that. Yeah, originally prior. blue. Oh, yeah, no, yes, blue obviously M&Ms this was in the 70s. And where was this? In Glasgow. Uh, in Glasgow. Your granny's yeah. from Glasgow. You're not from Glasgow, though, are you? I'm from Glasgow. Oh, yeah. I was born in Glasgow. Um, I love Glasgow. Oh, I know. I love Glasgow. I just hate the weather. I find it really... Well, I was there this summer, or when this goes out, last summer. Yeah. <laughs> and it was absolutely boiling. Oh, well, you see, you're you're these these you're amongst these freaky people that always say. So my fella, when the first time he went to Glasgow, it was the sun was splitting the skies. It was gorgeous. He kept saying, "What? 
what are you talking about? The next time we went to Glasgow, it was the same. So you're amongst those little freaky gang that every time you go to Scotland, it's nice weather. So I not need to come time. with you the next time. Not every, you can. I got a camper van. We went around the Isle of Skye. I've got a camper van. Yeah. yeah. It was so much fun. Oh, my God. I loved it. Yeah. And we just went discovering little You didn't places. go in the summer, did you? Yeah. Like the midges? Uh, yeah, I did. But I, did, I didn't get that bit. Really? No. Did you go to the islands, though? We hired the camper van from Glasgow. Yeah. And then we drove up round the locks. L- Loch Lomond. So Loch you did Lomond. That, you did that route. And then we got the ferry over to the Isle of Skye. Oh, yeah. Did a little tour of that and then come back. That was a week. You're kind of usually fine in the islands because they're windy. So the, mus- the, the mosquitoes, the midges don't tend to... I mean, they tend to kind of hang around lochs and, you know, damp, yeah. rainy places, which is basically the whole of Scotland. It's true. <laughs> so I've, I have been put off going in the summer. But for me, going the, the best time to go to Scotland, especially the highlands, is either the spring or the autumn. The autumn is beautiful because you've got all those amazing colours and, you know, it's gorgeous. Next time. Next time. Next time. In the camper van. Definitely. Oh, what, have you got a VW? No, 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 I just rented it. Oh, you rented it? Oh, no, I can't afford one of those yet. Oh, no, I've got an old VW. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Is it reliable? Um, well, I've had two. My first one, Tallulah. She was very... Oh, you named them? Oh, yeah. Love you got it. to. So my first one, Tallulah, was pink. And it lasted, I mean, a long time. And she never broke down. I went all around Europe, North Africa... Um, oh my god! You did some trekking. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah! Thousands and thousands of miles. She'd never broke. Well, she broke down once, um, but it wasn't anything major. And then um, one night I was in bed and I woke up and I this was by this the, the, this noise and a terrible kind of colour coming through the window through the shutters. And I opened and the camper van was on fire. No, outside it was a fireball. Yeah. And then it, and then I, so I got the kids quickly and I took them into the back of the house in case, because it was right by the windows. I thought the windows were going to come in. Yeah. A firework had, it was Guy Fawkes night, a firework had um, fallen on top of the roof and then just slowly burnt its way through. And then. Shit. That was heartbroken. Oh my God. I know. So then you got a second one. So then I got another one. I was working with them, I was in Benidorm. And I was working with this makeup artist and she said, you know, I'm trying to get my husband to sell these campers so we can go on a holiday to Mexico. <laughs> so, so her poor husband got bullied into selling me the camper van. I'll buy it. Yeah. Right time, yeah, right yeah. place. I know. So her name's Wilma. She's green. Um, and yeah, we go everywhere now. All female. All female names. Yeah, camper vans, they sort of should be female. Oh, right. I think. Is that an unwritten rule? I think it's kind of like boats and... Planes. I thought you were going to say the second... Yeah, it's funny, that, isn't it? Yeah. That they're always she's. I, I thought you were going to say the second one's going to be called Gary. <laughs> Which is not a bad name for a camper fan. It's quite a good name, yeah. yeah. Gary the camper. Yeah. <laughs> like That's it. your third one. <laughs> okay. So what, what part of Glasgow were you growing up in? So I grew up in a place called Mount Florida, um, which is on the south side. Right. Um, I mean, it was a, it's a tiny area, um, Mount Florida, some people call it Govan Hill, but Mount Florida seems much more... We used to call it Mount Florida because it just was much more posh. And um, I grew up in a tenement. Right. And, um, yeah, and I, we, I lived there until I was about... Um, probably till I was about 10, and then we moved to Ayrshire. Um, but my mum... I just lived with my mum. She was a single parent, so it was just me and her. No siblings? No. And where no. was your... Dad? My dad left when I was two, um, or he was thrown out when I was two. Oh, okay. Um, and and he, ne- I never saw him again. And no, never. And he, no, he lived about three miles away, and uh, yeah, just chose not to be not involved. To have any any involvement in your life at all? No. And my mother was brilliant. She was um, really. She said, "You know, you can see her any time because it was. I mean, it wasn't." It was quite an acrimonious split because he sort of cheated on her. Right. So she threw him out and then she took him back and then he did it again. So she, this time she just kind of threw him out for good. Um, but she always said, yeah, you can see her. Um, but he just never did. So he never chose to do that? No. And I suppose with you being a, at such a young age, 
you had no point of reference for a male figure in your life. It was just you and your mum and you just got on with it. Yeah. I, it was weird because I do remember asking... The, the strange thing was that my, um, my mother's... His family, my granny and my aunties and uncles and cousins, all lived um, about, you know, a few miles away. And I used to see them all the time. Because, oh, you saw them? Oh, yeah, because my mum kept in touch with his family because... Because her mum was dead, so I didn't have a granny. So she wanted me to have that experience. So she was really close with them. But he was kind of... He was an opera singer. And he was really ashamed of his working-class roots. He was very aspirational and very... This is... I subsequently found this out. Right. He was very aspirational, very kind of, um, you know, upwardly mobile, didn't really want anything to do with the kind of working-class... He wanted that kind of lifestyle, you know. Um, because of being an opera singer in that world is predominantly... It, in that world, yeah. yeah. So he kind of removed himself. and um, But my mother was an actress. Was she? Yeah. And she was um, a comic feed for all the kind of big comics like Jimmy Logan and um, uh, Una McLean and um, Francie and Josie, you know, right. Jack Monroe and Ricky, uh, Ricky Fulton. And so she was, and she was in a soap opera as well. It was Glasgow's first, or Scotland's first soap opera called High Living, which was set in a block of flats. And she was the barmaid. So she was quite well known. People would kind of ask for her autograph. um, So she was moving in those circles as well, but she was very, very proud of her background and very proud. Of her roots. Oh, completely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So I was very grounded because of that. Um, so yes, he just he just chose not to be involved. Did you have a male figure in your life growing up? I did. And then my mum met my stepdad David, um, who is a wonderful man, and they were together for thirteen years. She died when I was eighteen. Right. Um, but he was yeah he was a father figure to me definitely, and I'm still very close to him. And what age were you when he came into your life? If your dad. Sort of went away around um, you were two. I was about six. Right, okay. Yeah. Um, but my mother kept everything very separate because she was like the first, she was the first one in, in our family to own her own place. Right. She bought the tenement flat that we were living in. She was like the first one to have a phone, the first one to have a telly. Um, and, but she was very conscious of the fact that she wanted to keep her own place. So even when we all moved away as a family to um, Ayrshire on the coast, she kept the flat and rented it out just in case anything went wrong. You know, she always kind of... I think it was like her running away fund, you know. Well, it's a clever thing, just in case. If you've been broken and you've put yourself back together over the years, you need stability. Yeah, and she'd had a bad experience with my dad, you know, mm. so she just, yeah, kept that as a kind of little security. And also for you as well. And I mean, for me. She needs somewhere. Yeah. And actually it was a godsend because when when, um, when she did die and I kind of found myself, you know, ostensibly on my own, because my stepdad really couldn't deal with... He just couldn't... He was so broken by her death that he just... He couldn't function. He couldn't deal with, you know, me... He couldn't really deal with anything. Um, so I kind of found myself on my own, but I had this small income every month from this the rent of this flat. Yeah. And I moved to London. When you were 18? Yeah, um, with a boyfriend. And we lived in this little bed sit, and every month when the rent... I mean, it was a paltry sum, really, but every month when the rent money came through, we'd treat ourselves to, like, you know, we'd go into town and have a meal and yeah. get a taxi. <laughs> I mean, a taxi was like a luxury. Yeah, of course. You know? um, yeah, and we lived in this little bed set. He was a hairdresser. Um, I kind of didn't really know what I wanted to do. I bummed about. I um, got a job in a lawyer's office um, making tea at first. And then I kind of created a job for myself. I said, well, you don't have a receptionist, so I'll be a receptionist in right. a lawyer's office. Um and then at night, I would go into Soho and I'd work in a strip club in um, Berwick Street called Pussy Galores. I wasn't Pussy stripping. You were, you were... I was on the door. On, on the, you were I was on the door. On the door. Yeah. How did that on, job come about? I used to hang out in Soho all the time 
um, before before I got this job, James would go to work every day at Vidal Sassoon. And um, I would just hang about either Soho or I'd go into Notting Hill or, you know, this kind of Camden, you know, the places that were just vibrant and alive. Yeah. And um, I just met this guy in a cafe one day and, you know, he was from Glasgow and he said, oh, you know, where are you from? And we got chatting and he said, you know, are you looking for work? And I said, yeah. He said, well, I own this strip club. Okay, hold on right there. Straight <laughs> and I man, I've like, just met in a cafe. Yeah, what is this dad. job? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and I said, well, he, he said, would you be interested in stripping? And I said, absolutely no way. And he said, well, how about kind of, you know, working on the door and just taking the money off the punters when they come in? And I thought, well, you know, how hard can it be? And uh, it was actually a brilliant job because I got to know all the girls who were the strippers, who were, who came from the maddest backgrounds. I mean, they were all usually single parents or right. students. They were all lovely, you know. Um, just trying to make ends meet. Yeah, I just trying to make ends meet. And so it was just so different in those days. It was, you know, it still had all those kind of seedy sex shops and there was a lot of kind of, you know, there was a lot of, um, prostitutes on the street, but it always felt vibrant and safe. Did and it feel like a community? Yeah, yeah. definitely. Because whenever I see those photos, you know, the, the old photos, yeah. I just think, oh, God, it's such a different place now. Such a different place. Well, I mean, you know, we I don't know, but I, I used to... We used to go to these mad parties and so they were all these clubs that were underground, you know? So you'd come out of wherever and then you'd go into these... Um, these dens underneath and be full of drag queens and, you know, pimps and just fabulous people, you know. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I worked in there for, for a, a few months. Um, and then I just decided I've got to get my act together and try and, you know, do something with my life. And I knew I wanted to be an actor. Oh, you did know that? Because I was going to come back to that. Yeah, I did know, but... I think I was just, de- I was dealing with grief, you know, I was dealing with the excitement of being in a new city, I was dealing with being, you know, kind of on my own, being independent. The relationship pretty much broke down with my boyfriend. Um, so... Did you feel that it was quite timely that he got that job at Vidas soon and you were kind of trying to deal with this grief yeah. from your mum? So to run away... To the new surroundings and yeah. the big old city, you can try of not forget about it. No, but, but you can but, reinvent yourself. And that's obviously what you were trying to do. Yeah, completely. Um, I think it was just too hard being in Scotland. Because um, you were to... reminded, you would walk around corners and it was it would be reminders all yeah. the time, wouldn't it, I suppose? Yeah. And also I think just, it was just exciting to go, you know, I'd always wanted to go to London. I'd always wanted to live there. Um I'd always, I'd visited there when I was a kid and just really, you know, loved the whole, um, just energy of the place. And yeah. I don't know, it was the 80s, so it was still, a, it was a great time to be there because there was all these mad clubs, like the Wag and the Mud Club and, you know, and you could you could live in London for very little money. I mean, we lived in a bed set, I think it was like 20, 22 quid a week. God. I mean, it was just one room. But still. But, you know. In Kilburn. What would you get for £22 a week now? Nothing. Yeah, nothing. No, nothing. You wouldn't even get a, a hostel. Half a shoe. I know. Yeah. Um, so it was just a really, it was a, a, a really exciting time to be there. Um, so then what were you thinking? You were thinking, right, I've got to get my act, back, act together. And what are you now? 19, 20 <clears throat> or...? Yeah, about 19. Um, and then I had auditioned for drama school in Scotland... Um, and I didn't get in. Um, and I was really, I was really surprised. Right. <laughs> I was really upset. <clears throat> I did that thing where, did you go to drama school? Yeah. You know when you get a recall, and so you do, you do your initial audition, and then there's a recall, and then they put the names on the, the board. Boards, yeah. And everybody rushes to leave their names on, and I rush. My name wasn't up there. And I was so mortified that I kind of pretended that it was. Oh, no! <laughs> it's so embarrassing, but they were twat. I looked, I went, oh! I'm going to do this. Oh, leave my name's up there. And then, and then left the building, like, absolutely devastated. 
and a little bit surprised, you know. I think I had that kind of cocky confidence of, of course, I'm going to get in, you know. Well, My mother's an actress. Well, confidence is good, but if it goes over into arrogance, <laughs> yeah, probably <laughs> Do you not know, so I don't, good. I don't think it was arrogance. I think it was embarrassment. I was just embarrassed that I didn't even get a recall. Do you, you not know? even think, oh, they, well, they, they must be, they've made a mistake. Yeah. <laughs> no, I just... I just got out of there as quickly as possible. Yeah. So that kind of dented my confidence in terms of drama school. Um, at what age were you there? Because this is obviously we're going dip, nipping back. This I is was, before, yeah. 17-ish? Yeah, 17. Yeah. Um, and in fact, it was just before my mum died. Right. Um, anyway, she was really supportive and she was like, you know, you can try again. And by, by this point, she was really ill with cancer and, you know... Um, Anyway, so I, I decided, I thought, I'll try again. But I kind of just didn't have the heart to kind of go through the whole process of it again. So um, anyway, my relationship with this guy broke down. I decided to go home for six months back to Scotland. And a friend of my mum's, Morag Fullerton, ran this theatre company, which was a really, which my mother had worked for called Borderline in Ayrshire. Oh, right, so we're back in Ash and not in Glasgow. Not in Glasgow. Not in Glasgow. Right, I, went, okay. I, went, I went, well, I did go back to Glasgow, but I, I went down to Ayrshire um, to visit my my stepdad. Yeah. And um, she said, look, come and audition, you know, for the show that I'm doing. I, I, um, I can't give you the job. I would give you the job, but it's another guy who's directing it. But if you get this job, it'll give you your equity card. So I auditioned for it. I got it. And then I kind of worked, I just started working, you know. Around Scotland. Yeah. And um, and then I auditioned for a guy called John McGrath, who ran 784 Theatre Company. Yeah. And he said, look, I think you have got this raw talent, but I really do think you should go to drama school because I think it would, you know, um, help you. Um, and I found that kind of confusing because I'd already kind I'm of... already working. Yeah. I'm, I'd already got work. Yeah. And then he said, look, I've, I'm on the board of Lambda. Why don't you audition for Lambda? Um, and then I was kind of confused. I was taking all this advice from people. Some people were saying, yeah, go to drama school. And other, and I, I was working with actors who I really admired who hadn't gone to drama school. Yeah, of course. Um, and uh, so... Then he offered me a part in a film. John did? John McGrath. Right. He was doing a film called Blood Red Roses, um, which had been a play that 784 had done. So he said, I said, well, what should I do? Should I go to drama school or should I do your film? He said, oh, just do the film. You can go to drama school another time. So, um, yeah, so I ended up doing this film because when I was at school, I had this amazing drama teacher called, uh, sorry, English teacher called Sean Hemphill. Right. And he was one of those teachers. I don't know if you had one of those teachers at school. That, I did. Yeah. Yeah. They're just so... Luckily, ins- I did. They're yeah. so inspiring. Yeah. Um, and he got me into reading plays. Even though my mum was an actress, she it felt like a different profession in a way because she worked in variety, you know. So I was kind of brought up in theatres with singers and dancers and comedians and, and kind of acting... Street acting felt like a completely different profession. Yeah, of course. Um, and he used to he used to take us to the Citizens Theatre. Right. Um, and we saw these amazing plays, Seven Eighty Four, and um, really political plays. Um, and you know, you could go to at that point, you go to the sits for a pound. You know. Little notes how expensive it all is nowadays. But it was it it was just an amazing place because it was it supported the working-class community where it was situated, you yeah. know. So, you know, I, I, I kind of think that's why a lot of people in Scotland are so kind of well-educated and well-read because those opportunities were open to them all the time. You know, it was encouraged. Yeah. Yeah, the doors weren't closed. No, not at all. It wasn't... There was nothing elitist about it. Every, it, it can be for everybody. Yeah, it was really egalitarian. It was really... Yeah, for everyone. And, yeah. and you know, people were expected to know things about the arts and, you know, you, I mean, you could sort of hang your head in shame and if you're a, a Scot and you didn't know, you know, plays and books. and Yeah. Um, 
so he gave me a love of that. And then one of the plays he took me to see when I was about 15 or 16 was this play, Blood Red Roses, which was about a woman who becomes politicised and becomes the head of a union um, in, in Glasgow and leads a, a big strike against a multinational company. So, so then to be offered a part in that film of a play that I'd seen that inspired me was just... Way back then. Yeah, yeah. it was really exciting. How funny that that's come full circle. That I know. That was such a play that had effect on you. Now yeah, you're huge. Be doing the film. Yeah. And did you take the part in the film? Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> well, by this point I was earning money. You know, I was working in the theatre. You know, I was earning whatever it is. You know, you can live on so little when you're that age. So... Um, I'd got myself somewhere to live. Um, you know, I was, I was I was on tour all the time and then, you know, doing this film. And then from that, I got an agent in London, a really good agent, because in Scotland you had, there was two agents. There was Ruth Tarko and Freddie Young. And you kind of went with either of them. Didn't right. really make any difference. Yeah. <laughs> they had everyone on their books. Everyone went up for the same jobs. So... Getting this London agent was a huge thing for me. Um, and then I ended up moving back down. After how long? Um, I worked for Borderline for probably about a year and a half, two years. So for me, that was a that was my training. Yeah. You know, that's what it felt like, because it was just baptism. And did you fire. feel, even though it, you say it was, did you feel that you were learning? Were you consciously taking things and learning? Oh, oh, oh yeah. that's how you do. Oh, that's how they do that. And of course, you've been on a film set now, so it's co- obviously that's completely different. And there's yeah. all sorts of different etiquette to go there as well. Yeah. So you're learning there. So now you're obviously feeling well. I don't need to go to drama school. No, because oh, also I was working with amazing actors. You know, yeah. I was working with brilliant directors. So I did. I was like a sponge. I did. I, I. I kind of. And then I was working with. Also, I was working with people who. I don't know. They were just. You know, they were just well read, and. You know. Inspiring, political, right? You know, I mean, I, you know, there would there'd be endless nights sitting up and talking about rebellion and politics, and you know, um, and I when I moved to London, I found it really shocking that people didn't discuss politics. They're yeah. not in the same way. No, you know, you know, you didn't go to a pub and sit around and talk. It was almost that kind of scene. It's not. It wasn't de rigueur to. It was kind of a bit, oh, no, we don't discuss our politics. Well, it was a bit like being in Ireland at a certain time. Mm. You would sit down and you would, people would have a debate and yes. they would discuss. Yeah, and end up in a sing-song. Yeah. And that in, <laughs> itse- that in itself is inspiring. Yeah. I know. you can't claim to know everything, but there'll be somebody else who'll know something more than you. Yeah. And so I, I really missed that, actually, when I, when I moved back. I, I missed that kind of... Because then I kind of worked in telly and I kept working in telly and I didn't really do a lot of theatre um, because I just kept getting telly job after telly job. I mean, I'm not complaining, but it was, you know, I kind of missed being immersed in, in the theatre. And in that sort of company, it's a different company atmosphere, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Well, it's, you know, it's, it's touring and it's all, you know, sex and drugs and rock and roll. <laughs> not quite, you know, but it's it's just... it's. Great fun. I mean, I can't imagine going on tour now, you know. No. Not with kids. And, no. Oh, no, and staying in shitty, grotty hotels. No. no. Digs. D- don't even we say used to get the, the word. We used to get the digs the list. list. <laughs> and then everybody would trying to get, everybody would trying to get the good digs. You go, fuck, that bastard's got the fucking good digs again. How does he do that? Every time. Every fucking time, you know. How do you find now working with kids if you have to go away? Well, my kids are used to it. I mean, um, you know, I've I've always been the breadwinner in the family. You know, um, my ex-husband's not alive anymore. But um, even, you know, when he was, I, I kind of was the main breadwinner. So they've, they're used to me being away. Um, but I had never, ever, I tried to never be away for any longer than, a week or ten days before I, I saw say, them. Do you have a cut-off point? At the yeah, end? I did a job this year in Canada. It was and it was four months, and I was away for the whole time, and that was really hard. Did they get to come out? They they came out. Yeah, they came out for a holiday. They came out for about probably about four weeks out of the four months, and you can't fly back because there's no time. Yeah, you know, I was working all the time, so 
yeah, I, f- I find that really tough. And they found it tough as well because they're teenagers and I think they can't, they don't want you when they're teenagers, but they need you. Yeah, exactly. They just want you to be there, you know, being slightly annoying in the background. And whatever shit they're going through. <laughs> yeah, but you're there. So there was a lot of FaceTiming, a lot of Skyping, a lot of, you know, tantrums. I mean, they'd ring me in Canada and go, Mum, where's my PE kit? Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. I go, Where you left it? <laughs> I don't know, I've been there for three months. <laughs> so coming back to London now, yeah. we're just going to nip back. Okay. Are you doing lots of stuff in telly and it's all... It's going quite well. Yeah. Was there a point where you relaxed and went, oh, well, we're on this, we're on the ride now, this is fine, it's all going to... just going to carry on like this? Or was there a moment when it just went, oh, it all stopped? Or... Well, or was there a bumpy moment? Yeah, I mean, I did. I had, um, I had a, a whole year of being unemployed. Um, it just—I I can't even remember what age I was. I think I was about twenty-four, twenty-three, twenty-four, and it was just one of those things. I just, yeah, I was unemployed, and I just couldn't get a job. Didn't get a job, and, and what, it was. How, do you, how did you cope with that at that time? Because you still. <sighs> I kind of very young. I was okay because I, I, you know, I was such a part. I was a real party girl. In so, what way? Well, just you know, clubbing and taking drugs and having a good time, and I was having a great time. Um, I mean, I had no money, but I was having a great time, and I, you know, I, I was with a gang in London. We had a gang, right? And, um, you know, some of them were actors, some were musicians, some were, you know drug dealers <laughs> I mean it was just like it was a great gang of people yeah so there was a lot of distractions from being unemployed and there was times where I mean I remember going away my age I remember going to Greece once we just like everybody was like you know somebody got a bit of money and it was like let's get a cheap let's go on teletext remember the days to get a holiday wasn't it? <laughs> teletext and see if there's a cheap cheap holiday went straight to Greece my agent rang me up and said you've got an audition for the royal court and I, I said I I'm not in the country. And she was furious that I'd left the country without telling her. And quite rightly so. You know, I was just, it was a completely unprofessional thing to do. And she just said, you know, this is a great part in a great play. And, you know, you've you've really fucked up here. And I was a bit like... Tell between your legs. <laughs> Pass the usual. Shit. <laughs> Um, yeah, and I went back, and she, and I, I don't think the relationship between us was never the same again. I, th- I, 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 she kind of sat me down and said, "You're not taking your career seriously enough. You know, you need to knuckle you know, down." Yeah, yeah. And she, I mean, she was quite right to to a certain extent, but I, it wasn't that I didn't have ambition. I did have ambition, and I still do to a certain extent. But I, you know, I never wanted to be. Uh, famous or I just wanted to work. Yeah. I still do. Yeah. You know? Um but I think it did give me a bit of a kick up the arse and I thought, okay, you've got to get yourself together here. And did you get your shit together, do you think? I did, yeah. Of it, no, these things don't happen overnight, you know. It's... Well, you know, yeah, I, I kind of just yeah, I I did. I I tell you what I did do, I left that agency. I changed agents. How long after? It was about four months afterwards. And um, you, you felt that that was that was broken now. Yeah, I felt that she just wasn't. She'd lost interest, and so I met another agent through a friend and this amazing agent called Sally Hope, who I was with for a long time. Um, and she was fantastic. And she said, "Okay, if you come with me, though, you're gonna, you're gonna, you know, work hard." So she read you the right act. She before. Get, she read me the right act before. <laughs> Absolutely, she was amazing. Um, you got to remember, you're still 23, 24. Yeah, I was just a baby, really. You should be going out and having fun and... Yeah. Yeah, you know, take things serious to an extent. I know, but I don't... I mean, I don't know about you, but don't you think that these days, like, it's much more of a profession acting? You know, profession's the wrong word. It is... I was always professional, but it's much more of a career. I mean, young actors now are so on it. Yeah. They're so well, like, 
you know, I need to get this, I need to get my profile up, I need to do blah, blah, I need to be in America, you know, I need to get... I mean, it, yeah, I see it. And I it go, seems like a different business. Fair play. Mm. That's what you think, or that's what you've been told, or yeah. you've been brainwashed into thinking. Yeah. But at the end of the day, for me, and I'm sure for you as well, it just all boils down to the work. It's just about the work. Just about the work. And the work will breed the other bit of work, yeah. and so on and so forth. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying that. Just because you you attempt, or, and sometimes you do do great work. If you're a nasty piece of shit and you're a horrible person, I don't really think it should be brilliant work. Cause, yeah. But also, then again, I don't want to be doing some work and we'll do a scene and then we'll stop and then someone's going to run over here and just I just need to watch what I've done there. Oh, f- I know, I know, like, I know. Well. Ugh. So you're self-conscious. Not, you're not looking at the work there. You're, you're looking not at in you. it. Yeah. You're looking at you. Yeah. And I don't think that's healthy either. No, I don't either. I don't... I, yeah, that that drives me insane. And also it slows things down. But it's just so... You're so self-absorbed when you're doing that. How can you possibly be receptive to another human being sitting opposite you? Because that's really what it is, isn't it? I mean, it's it's telling stories. It's a conversation between people. Well, you're not listening, are you? Because you're thinking about how. Yeah, what do I look nice like? Look? Is that, is my, that, yeah. That's, that's my. That's not my good side. This one. This one. I, I know. But I think that's it. It's almost like a lot of those American things have creeped into our profession. Because I think that's what it's kind of like in America. You know, they they, they talk about you know they they go to check the dailies. Yeah. And actors will sit down at the end of the day and watch the rushes. I mean, I just, I never got that, you know. I suppose if you're a big movie star, you know, you need to have a certain amount of control, but... But that's different. You're it talking, is different, You're talking yeah. about a movie star. Yeah. Actors over there, movie stars, yeah. they're, they're, they're very, very different. They're very it's, a very, it's a different profession. It is. I always feel like that, that with kind of like award season, that there's a different, you know, there's a different bit of the business going on. I suppose it's if you buy into all that. Yeah. You know, you... I sometimes, But then again, I know a lot of young actors who aren't like how we've described. I mean, no. very few, like a handful, I would say, that I've worked with over 20 years that would be like that. And yeah. I've seen it change over the years, obviously. Yeah. So my voice is going off to have That's some right. more water. <laughs> <laughs> but it does feel... It, it. I mean, it does... It just does feel sometimes like a different... Like a different profession. You know, like all this kind of, you know, having to be off the book and auditions and having to be, you know... How do you feel about that? Do you subscribe to that? Oh, no, I fucking hate it. It drives me insane, you know. And sometimes I just want... I want to... I want to... I just... Sometimes I want to walk in and go, you know what? Fuck you, actually. I've got more experience than anyone else in this room and you want me to be off... The, I mean, I went in for an audition recently... And I, I, the direct, I nearly walked out. Why? Because the director was so rude. I mean, the, first of all, the director was in the room, which was actually quite amazing, because they're, they're never usually there. But he was lying on a couch with his legs open, like, you know. Impress just, me. Yeah, just kind of, yeah, really arrogantly. He didn't even sit up. He didn't even say hello when I walked in the room. He was just sitting there with this, you know, man-spreading. And... Uh, and just this arrogant kind of pose. And then the casting director was not much nicer. She was a bit kind of, oh, hi. Nobody in the room was nice, apart from the casting assistant, who was absolutely lovely. And she's the, probably the only reason I didn't go, go and tell them to go and fuck themselves. Yeah. She was actually really nice and very attentive. So we did the scene. And um, nothing. No response. So I just thought, you know, I'm too long in the tooth for this. So I just said, was that okay? You want to do it different? Anything else? Anybody got any any comments? Said to this. He said, oh, no, no, yeah, no, that was great. Um, yeah, I mean, you could try it. Could I, though? She said, could I? Do you really want me to? <laughs> do, you want, do you want me to do it? Shall or... I just fucking go? Shall I just go? Shall I just go? Because you know what? Even if you gave me the part, I don't think I'd take it because I don't want to work with you. No, exactly. You know. it's a, surely it's a two-way thing. 
You know, it is. They want to know that, one, you can do it, and two, you're an half-decent sort of person yeah. to work with. And isn't it amazing, when you work with a director who you love, it's just the best thing. And it's the easiest. Because oh, you spend more time hanging out and talking than you do actually doing any of the filming. Yeah. So you've got to have a rapport. A rapport. And a relationship, you know. But this whole off-the-book thing, no, I, I don't subscribe to it. So, I mean, I do it because that's what's, what, that's what's expected. But I just feel that you're not getting the best out of somebody, you know. Um, because, you know, I, I just think that it's it's an unfinished process. Yeah. You know, reading is a great is a great thing to do. I mean, if you know, when you go in to do a play, they don't expect you to be off the off the script. No, of course not. And I think they probably find it very odd if you did, because then you've gone, oh, this I'm is my performance, and I've made all my decisions based on this moment. Yeah, and this is what it will be. Where it, it, it's it, bollocks. It, bollocks. Yeah. yeah, it's really bollocks. Yeah. bollocks. And I, I don't know what I don't know where it's come from. I really don't. I can't, I don't know. I no, because I've had this discussion quite a lot and I thought it was America and then I was talking to somebody else and they're like, no, 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 it's not because they're not like that there. So I don't know. I don't, I don't know. know. But I don't like it. You know, I don't like it at all. But how are you with auditions in general? I don't, I, li- I can't quite like auditioning. I mean, I, I, I quite like getting the job, you know? It's a nice part, isn't it? Well, a director gave me a really brilliant piece of advice once when I was when I was very young. He said to me, he said, don't be nervous in auditions. He said, because I want you to be the person that I want to give the part to. When you walk through that door, I'm totally on your side. I want you to be the person that goes, fuck yeah, she's amazing. That's the, I want to give her that part. And if I don't give, the, give you the part, it's only because somebody else is more right for it and somebody else was... Not not better, not worse, just more right and more, you know, right for that role. Yeah. And it was a brilliant piece of advice because I, from then on, I, I kind of went in thinking, yeah. It's... But, but do you feel that every time? It'd be so nice. But if a guy is lying down on a sofa with no, his No, I don't feel it with him, no. But, yeah. And he's like, well... Oh, but I mean, when I was a when I was a younger yeah. actor, and also I I don't know about you, but I had really good relationships with casting directors. I mean, I knew them, you know. I mean, Marilyn Johnson, the late great Marilyn Johnson. Yeah, she was like a mate, you know, and she would say she would say, "Darling, I've put you in last. So we can have a little cheeky wine." <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> so she'd give me the last audition of the day, so we could go and have a drink. But you know, they were nurturing and they were you know they were warm and they were kind of encouraging so when you walked in the room you were all you knew you were already halfway there because they'd got you in the room and casting directors would not get you in the room if they didn't think you had a chance of getting the part yeah i don't really know any casting directors this today do you feel that's changed though for you or just in general over the years yeah i think for me it's changed i mean i i Sometimes I get offered parts, which 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 is really nice. I mean, not all the time, but if it's an offer, you go, oh, you know, well, I don't have nice. to. That's quite nice. Yeah, it doesn't it happens rarely? But then I think I quite like the process of going to meet a director. If you ever get to meet the director these days, or a producer. Well, of course, because as I said before, we discussed it. It's a two way thing. Yeah, and then you get the part, and you, so you feel like in a way you've earned it. Yeah. Um, rather than. I hate all this self-tape stuff as well. Do you? Yeah, well, I always think it goes back, and I've said this before, about going in and trying to get a rapport with somebody. Yeah. You know, you might want a job, you might get it, you might get on set, and you go, oh, God, no, they're not my type of people. Yeah, you're not my people. This is not, <laughs> this is not good. This is not going to be healthy for three months. I'm going to have a bloody breakdown. Oh, no, you're an arse. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Hello? What do you mean? <laughs> Too late, is it? Too late to get out? Okay. <laughs> Put the phone down. Crack on with dog. <laughs> I know. So it's, you know, I, I, I kind of miss that um, nice auditioning. You know, you go in and meet the director, the producer. You know, you talk about the part. You might even talk about yourself. You might even ask you something about yourself. Which is always nice. Just, you know, it's just, it just relaxes people. They can just listen to these podcasts. Yeah, and then they exactly. can get to know people a bit better. I remember going into an audition and I, I hadn't worked, as I say, for a year. 
and I had got my new agent. Sally Hope. Sally Hope. And she put me up for this job and I went in and and, uh, and it was a lovely director called Roger Michelle who, it was his first telly job. And he said, so what have you been doing? I said, nothing. I've been out of work for like a year. He went, have you? I went, yeah. He said, how's that? I said, fucking awful. You know, we had a bit of a laugh. And anyway, I got the, I, I got the part. And, um, and he said to me, during the job, he said, I just want to say that I really, one of the reasons I gave you that job was because I really admired your honesty. I was just about to say that. I yeah. said, I bet anybody that is the reason why you get the job. I was so sick of going, oh, yeah, I've actually, I've been... Um... Blah, blah, bullshit, bullshit, bullshit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because, you know, you, you feel like you have to pretend that you've been doing stuff, that you're really busy and, you know, oh, everybody... Oh, God, I never do. <laughs> I know. Well, I mean, I, I, I didn't ever since because he said... Don't ever, you yeah. know. And anybody, any director worth of salt would say, I would, would love say the that same honesty. thing. Yeah. 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 But I think that is half the reason why you, you, you do get a job. Yeah. Because you go, yeah, Judy Graham sound, I want to work with her. Yeah. Can she do the job? Yeah, she yeah. can. Yeah, I mean, my, you know, my mother, when she worked in the theatre, she always said to me, you know, there's always going to be one twat in the room, make sure it's not you, you know. Every company has a twat. Whether it be, you know, a stage manager or an actor or somebody. Usually somebody shows their colours, you know. So just make sure it's never you, you know. Has it ever been you? I don't know. (laughs) I did come back once. Because I know for a fact (laughs) it's been me once or twice. I did come back from a job and say, this job's great, there are no twats. And my then boyfriend said, it's you! (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. <laughs> it wasn't me. I just want to say. No, but I've been, you know, I, I think, you know, I've done jobs where I've been really unhappy and I've thought, why did I fucking take this job? I didn't want the job. I took it because of some spurious of reason. reasons. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I needed to pay a bill, tax bill, whatever. And I thought, I actually don't do that again. Don't, if you're going to do something, do it with good grace, you know. And do it because your gut's telling you to do it. Yeah, or if you just if you get into that job and you realise that you've made a mistake, just fucking get on with it and you know accept accept your mistake and just put your head down and do the job with good grace and don't be the twat. Yeah, you know. But we learn from those mistakes. Well, I think we do. I think we do. I would hope that we do. Yeah, I hope so as well. I mean, it's weird. I I've what I've. I remember having one audition actually that was the we one of the weirdest auditions I've ever had, and it was um. So I remember I told you my my dad left when I was when he when I was two. Yeah. I only saw him once again, when I was eighteen, um, and it was after my mum died, and uh, I think his family basically said, "Look, you need to step up and see your child. She's an orphan, you know." Um. And so... Did he come to the funeral, did he? No. 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 Um, he, wasn't, he wasn't invited. He wouldn't right. have been welcome. Right, OK. But um, so we went... So I was taken to his big house in Glasgow because he lived in the south side of Glasgow in these kind of big, you know, the posh bit. And uh, the staff answered the door. It was all very, you know... He had staff. Oh, yes, yeah. So oh, right, was... so we'd gone... He'd oh, yeah, gone yeah, yeah, yeah. Well yeah. up a class yeah. now. Right, OK. And, um, well, he was a producer at Scottish Opera at that time, so, you know, he was obviously minted. So um, I was brought in and kind of, you know, we met and it was really weird because I looked like him. We really looked like each other. So that was a kind of, that was, I thought, oh, yeah, that's what I, that's where I come from. And I met him and within about half an hour of meeting him, I knew why him and my mum split up because she wasn't her type at all. At all. And he's certainly not going to be your <laughs> at type. At all. Yeah. I mean, she was funny and sexy and, you know, uh, um, outspoken and, um, yeah, a bit scary. And he was just this kind of, I don't know, he was just a weak man. She only ever compared me to him once. She said, you're selfish like your father. Oh, that's <laughs> going to hurt. Like, yeah. And, um, 
Yeah, and I knew, and I, I knew why. They, I could see why they split up. So you two would never, you should never be together. And I didn't really actually particularly like him, but you know, I was very pleasant. It was like, oh hello, but very chit chat, chat, chat. Surface level. Chat. Yeah, and then as as I was leaving, he said, um, "Oh no, his wife said um, we were so sorry to hear about your poor mother." And I just, I thought, "Fuck you!" Yeah. And I said, "Oh yeah, it was, it's yeah, dreadful, but um, there was nothing poor about my mother." Just thought, "Fuck you! I'm yeah. not going to have you patronising me or her." No, um, and that was it. I never saw him again. I mean, you know, it wasn't he. It's not for me to keep in touch with a parent. A parent should keep in touch with you. No, not at all. And I, then I did see him in the street about two years later, and I know that he saw me. He was outside the drama school in Glasgow, and I was up doing a job, and I know that he saw me, and he looked down and hurried on up the street, and I thought, "Oh, there you are." Well, that's the real. There that's you the real are. bloke. Yeah. 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 There's a there's a great quote by um, Maya Angelou that says. Um, uh, if a person shows you who they are, believe them the first time. And that's, you know, that was kind of him. But anyway, sorry, I was in this audition and... It's all right, we go off sorry, on loads yeah. of tangents <laughs> on this podcast, it's fine. So I was in this audition and I was auditioning for um, The Merchant of Venice. And... Um, so I go in and I'm chatting to the director, he's really nice. He said, look, I, this is my first play that I've directed, I'm, a, I'm an opera director, so I'm a bit new to this. And I said, well, I've never done Shakespeare, so, you know, let's be new together. He was really nice. And he said, um, uh, I said, oh, you know, where, where, whereabouts did you, you know, are you an opera director? He said, oh, I've worked all over the place, but Scottish opera mainly. And I said, oh, oh, you, you'd probably know my, my dad. And he said, oh, who's your dad? And I said, John Graham. And he just, he went ashen. No. And he said, John Graham. John Lawson Graham. And I said, yeah. He said, he's your father. I said, yeah. So I don't, I don't know him. I don't really know him because he's very really strange. And he said, oh, he's a really good friend of mine. I never knew he had a daughter. Oh. <laughs> and it was like... The whole atmosphere in the room just went frosty, the snowman, you know. It was all very weird. It's like a bit kind of, you know, Nicholas Rogue. Jesus. (laughs) So, and I said, oh, um, okay, sorry, I didn't, you know. uh," He said, no, 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 it's fine, it's fine. It's just, it's just, oh, God, and now I can see you really look like him. And I said, shall I, shall I go? (laughs) He said, no, 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 please read, please, but... I'm just really in shock. He's probably going, who's that guy? Who is he? Yeah, he's, that's my best mate. And he, what, I thought what I really been, knew him. Who is he? What have you been talking about yeah. for the last... So that's, he's just a weird, it's just a weirdo. If you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> he's a big you're fan. still alive. He's a big fan. He was going to come on today. <laughs> But I said, I don't it's think like, it's going to be... your life. I don't think it'll be appropriate. <laughs> and all the way from Glasgow. <laughs> It'll be coming in a minute. It'll be a, at the door. Was there a time, Julie, when you went, uh, I've got to get out of London? Because I know you don't live in London now. Was there a, a specific moment when you went, oh, it's getting too much for me in London? Yeah. I, weirdly enough, it was when I, I kind of went to to buy some pro I thought I was about 34 and I thought shit I should really buy somewhere just rented for you know did that thing in London where you go people said oh go on a housing association list you know in, in Kensington you go how long is the waiting list two years you go, fuck that <laughs> you know <laughs> of course you know they you have a lovely flat yeah so I rented and I was renting and it was just just killing me you know financially I just I, I was earning good money you know I was working and I decided to buy somewhere and I just was looking around going, I can't buy anywhere in London, it's just ludicrous. And I went to see a friend, a, a boyfriend of mine was doing a play in Brighton and I went to see him in the play and he he was working at night and I was sort of staying with him. We were knocking about Brighton during the day and then 
in the evening he would go off and do the play and I'd kind of wander around. I just loved it. I thought, this is gorgeous, being by the sea. You know, because I've been brought up by the sea my kind of latter years, yeah. my um, teenage years. Yeah. yeah, the Ayrshire the years. The years. Um, and I just thought I could live here. And then then I just bought a house. I mean, it was it was about it was that quick. It was I put an offer in, I got some details for a house, put an offer in, bought a house. Within about six months, four months, I was living in Brighton. Was this was this before children? Before children, right? Oh, yeah, I didn't know anyone at all. I knew, um, I knew my, I knew one woman called Sally, who's still one of my closest friends, um. And she was having a birthday party and the venue fell through. And, and I said, well, I've got this big house that I've just bought and I don't know anyone. Why don't I throw you a party and then I can steal all your friends? <laughs> <laughs> She's actually a really good way to get to know people. Um, in fact, I still know all of those people to this day. Oh, yeah. yeah, that was like 20 years ago. Wow. So I just, I just found London too hard and, you know, I kind of just got fed up got fed up travelling around and not ever being able to see anyone. You'd arrange people to, you know, you kind of phone someone up and say, should we go for a pint? Oh, no, I'm not free for another two weeks. You know, or you couldn't just drop in on someone. That's ridiculous, yeah. Apart from Soho House, you kind of bump into a crowd and then, you know. Is that the crowd you want to bump into? Not really. Not really. (laughs) (laughs) Unless you want to come out in a cloud of cocaine. Um, yeah, no, I, I was uh, so over that, you know, was done. Um, yeah, and I just like the quality of life. And then, actually, I really love going back to London now. Exactly. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? Mm. Once you go out, you fall back in love with it. Yeah. I, I mean, that's, I'm just speaking personally, but yeah. that sounds no, it's like true, yeah. your experience as well. Yeah, you do. Because you suddenly get this, it's exciting again. Yeah. But you also want to leave. And especially having kids. I mean, have you got two? One. One. When you've got kids, you just have to... I, I just like the quality of life down there because it's, it's more quiet. There's, there's just, you know, I know lots of people. I can walk down the street, bump into somebody. Um, I love that, you know, people are friendly. Do you find you switch off about work a bit more as well, not being in the thick of it? Yeah, Definitely. Which can only be a healthy thing. Yeah, of course, because you can... I think you can just become so self-obsessed about, you know, or, in you know, not self-obsessed, just kind of... Um, you can become... You can worry about it too much. And it becomes all-encompassing. Yeah. And it's like, well, there's, lot, there's much bigger and more important things to worry about. Because it's the only reason I was here. Yeah. You know, I wasn't here because I had lots of family or, you know... Um, I was here for work, so it was nice to then... I mean, I suppose the only thing about being by the seaside in Brighton, you can get a bit kind of, oh, I haven't worked for six months, it's fine, you know. I could just go and drink a cocktail on the beach. <laughs> Which, you know, yeah. sounds all right, yeah, isn't just it? just go in the camper, I'll just go in the camper for, you know, a month. Get away in Gary, the camper. I'm renamed yeah. it for you. I want to be called Gary now. <laughs> She'll be fuming. Julie... Was that all right? Yeah. You enjoy that? Yeah, it was lovely. Nice chat. It was lovely. Thanks. It's lovely talking to you. Perfect. <laughs> and another episode is done. I mean, come on. She's just great. I think you get to know Julie Graham a little bit better after that. And it's so funny because when she came to meet us in London uh, at the hotel we were in, um, she was just all warm, full of hugs, and she just went, right, I was going to kick my shoes off. And she did. She kicked her shoes off, sat, legs folded on the chair, and we really got down to it. She's just great. Um, very, very good company, as you have just heard. So, where are we? Episode 77 next week. Um, we're meeting, I'm meeting Griff this week in London. We've got three episodes planned I can't tell you who it is, but you'll be very excited because I am. I can't wait to meet them. Um, And we're slowly but surely 
knocking down the doors, knocking down the numbers, because we're nearly at episode 100. What do you think we should do? I think we should do something kind of special for episode 100. I'm not sure. Let, look, let's get our thinking caps on. If you've got any messages or ideas for episode 100, sling them over, right? You can email twoshotpod at gmail.com for that and anything else. You can drop us a line on Twitter. You know we're there. We're on all the social medias. Um, it's at twoshotpod. Love hearing from you. And please make sure you hit subscribe. Do tell a friend. Tell a few friends. And let's get this listening community growing even further. Okay? Fantastic. So, until next week, I've been Craig Parkinson. He's been producer Griff. And this has been the Two Shot Podcast. You take care of yourself, all right? The Two Shot Podcast is presented by me, Craig Parkinson. Recorded and produced by Thomas Griffin for Splicing Block. Our music, our brilliant music, is courtesy of Then Thickens. Cheers.